And welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am your host, Aaron Kaster. I'm sitting in studio as par usual with Stephen Hostetter, my co-host. And uh, we're going to do a bunch of things today. Um, I think as far as the, like, end is nigh meter... Mm. I think it's actually going to be really low today for us, like, but, but by average, I mean, right, yeah, which yeah. is like a, it's a low bar to be hitting, but I think we're, I, th- I think we're definitely going to slightly less depressing than normal. I think is what right, we're going for. Right, right, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy. I, I met our guests who are joining us in the middle of the program out here, and I, I've already been hugged today. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so I'm just feeling infinitely better. Yeah. Recommend it if you haven't been hugged yet today. Maybe if you're listening to the podcast, pause it, go hug someone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but we're so, so on the disaster end is niometer. We're going to go run pretty light. I, I, that's partially intentional and partially. Part not intentional, and part the intentional part was if you heard the bonus show last week, I don't need to explain anymore. <laughs> if you didn't, go listen to it, and then be like, oh, okay, that's what they're talking about. <laughs> um, so what we're going to be doing in reverse order is I do have a small collection of news. News will be the sort of minority, the minority report. Really, ah, there you go. Uh, today on the program, I'm going to choose from s- some point over the next 25, 30 minutes, I'm going to choose which of these I'll spend more time on and which I will just recommend reading the article. But I have several, including a report on monitored wildlife decline. I have some stuff about uh, some EU official reports copying stuff directly from a Monsanto study into their, their legislation or into, the, into their official reports. Uh, we have some really interesting stuff about Hydro-Quebec win. A uh, major project uh, in a majestic uh, protect, uh, or should be protected if not protected area. The Magpie River uh, was a win, um, and and get into the hilarious. Yeah, but it's not because of activists. Re- right. uh, reason <laughs> reasoning they put out. Uh, really interesting story about Energy East. Uh, a, a brief update about the sort of the BC co- uh, collaboration, political collaboration going on between the Greens and the NDP in BC. Uh, a question as to whether or not Catherine McKenna is possibly sort of breaking with the sort of of controlled message of the liberal government. Is there a conflict between her recent statements and, and previous statements Justin Trudeau have made or not? Uh, and uh, and very, very interesting story. I definitely want to talk about this, at least part of it, uh, is a UN climate panel for the first time ever will be studying the, the quote-unquote demand side of the equation. Uh, the new IPCC will be looking at human behavior specifically and not just the outputs, but actually the inputs uh, and talking about uh, getting a little bit outside of, of the range of where they've been talking about, getting a little bit more proactive uh, relative to previous work of the IPCC. IPCC. Love it. Definitely want to mention that at least. But uh, aside from that, I'm, I'll, uh, we'll, I'll recommend some and talk about others. That will be at the end of the program. In the middle of the program, uh, I'm going to be joined by uh, Kim Wheatley and uh, Lucy Cummings, uh, who are going to be talking about uh, the first annual Great Lakes Water Walk. Uh, they'll be joining us about halfway through. And uh, and I'm already feeling the love, and they're sitting all about 15 feet away. So this is this. They're, is they're giving fist pumps for that. That's they're, right. Okay. So uh, just stay tuned. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna get any farther into that. That'll be coming up. Uh, I'm very interested uh, uh, in talking about that and uh, hearing from them. Uh, but first, Stefan yes. uh, has the point. Uh, has point on this week's show. Uh, uh, we had a, a very uh, very appreciated uh, listener who uh, has been emailing us for about six years. Uh, Phil from the UK. Uh, thanks, Phil, for the UK for recommending this. He 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 actually it, it, just it, recommended it to be read, and I thought well, let's put it on air. Yeah, I also want to, I would love to know if Phil from the UK is is the person from Nottingham. I'm trying to figure out who's listening. That's it's, entirely possible. It's, we have a shot. We might actually find the people from Nottingham who listen to our show. I've never I've never asked him specifically where he's from. Well, so. 
Or if he said, I've forgotten because right. I've been emailing for like six years. Well, what a what a lovely fellow. Thanks, Phil. Yeah. Uh, so and so with the with the title of the of the article uh, that was sent uh, is "Climate Anxiety Doesn't Have to Ruin Your Life," and here's how to manage it. It's an article on Grist, which is like which is something that we which I think is a publication we don't reference overtly often on the show, and yet is doing fantastic uh, reporting within the climate space. So if you ha- don't have you don't actually subscribe or at least uh, regularly check Grist, I, I strongly recommend it because it's one of the few places who's really directly focusing on environment and it's 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 one of the first one of the, one of the only real truly uh intentional uh just environment kind of uh websites so definitely and they do some great reporting and then, and then because of that fact they, they're able to sort of do some some conversations that i guess wouldn't really make a lot of sense in other places i think you know they're really they get a chance to do they have this, this they have this one column called ask umbra uh which in basically people ask questions about about different climate things or different environment things and so this one is literally asking them about the idea of climate anxiety and and the interesting thing about climate anxiety uh is that it's it's you know it's general, I experience it daily exactly uh, you know any anyone working in this field I think has experienced it in some version daily and I think especially if you're already an anxious person which I certainly am yep. it's it uh <laughs> it, it is is magnified two for two seven yeah um and so and, and because in part there's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why and I think what's interesting about climate change as I'm sure anyone who listens to the show regularly understands it's an existential threat right there's there's a there's a piece of this which means which which is that if if we don't do anything. Uh, the world comes to an end. That is, and, and that is, you sort of generally know that, which is kind of a weird thing to generally know. Uh, in that, you know, if, if we don't do anything next hundred years, that we will likely be living on a nearly uninhabitable planet. And and what makes this different, I think, from other existential cre- threats that that uh, that humanity has faced is that it requires action rather than requires inaction. You know, the nuclear Armageddon requires someone to start it. Right. Whereas we've sort of, whereas this requires someone to end it, which right. is a very different, I think, uh, type of of threat. If if Kim Jong Un gets like really interested in like Hearthstone, which is an online card game, yeah, just do that. He doesn't have to do it. Like you don't have to do anything. The problem just doesn't happen because someone doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Do something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and this is much more. This is this much more difficult. And much more. I think it's much easier to get wrapped up in 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 it every single day. Because of the fact that you can sort of see it happening in very minute ways, right? You don't, you're not constantly reminded uh, that of, of, of other impending dooms. But, but climate, you, you see a car drive by or you get stuck in traffic or, you, know, or you, you, you listen to the news ever uh, or you experience some severe weather. You know, it's reminding you every single day that it's here and it's present and it's there. So it, it is a very different type of anxiety, or very different, not maybe different anxiety, but a very different type of uh, of threat. And how we respond to it then is, is I think, is different. And if, especially if you're and Stephen, you and I are both this, and I, I, I bet a good portion of our listeners are like this too, like very factoid oriented, in that like you'll hear something and, and you'll catalog it, right? Mm. And so I was having this experience this morning where I'm like walking down the street and I'm like walking. Uh, my current walk involves walking down Avenue Road, which is very busy. It's sort of like a non-highway highway yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get into the core of the city uh here in toronto and uh and just like looking at all the cars i'm just like oh my god and they're all honking at each other and like and i'm thinking about the climate and the stress and the and the wouldn't shouldn't we have buses and then i'll pass a sign for coffee be like oh coffee's terrible and prices are gonna go up and i just like everything i look at just starts this like i know 17 things about either how this is impacting climate change how it's causing climate change how it's an indication of how we're not causing climate change and then I try and put on really loud music and, and like try and like memorize the lyrics and just yeah. give my brain something else to do because I get overloaded with it and that's just walking down the street. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and so and so this conversation sort of I think is an important one to 
have, and I, and I think it's an important one to sort of to, to be had out in the open, uh, because you know those of us in this field, you know, see these sort of things all the time, but. Yeah, you know, it's it's incredibly difficult just to explain this kind of anxiety to people who aren't who don't necessarily feel it at all, right? It's very difficult to explain this kind of feeling to you know maybe your your relative who doesn't thinks climate change is a hoax. Like it'd be like going to someone saying like I'm very scared aliens are invading, and they'd be like, well they're not, so I don't know what your problem is. You know, it, 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 there's a there's a direct sort of uh, rejection almost of of the premise of your fear from the very very beginning, and so it's it's very difficult I think if you're not sort of in the space to, to have these conversations with people outside of this, this space, uh, and so, and so I think it's 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 important. And even to reference the, how I began the show last week uh, with the fact that I had or I had brought a reusable coffee mug to a coffee shop, and then they had poured it into a disposable one, and then poured it into my reusable coffee shop mug, like that kind of thing is like sort of then reminds you further of the of the difficulties of the. Uh, the, the difficulties of the, the the way we're actually trying to even solve this, you know, you do something good and it immediately is is undone, uh, and so you know, and we see it with recycling. You know, you, you start doing some recycling and you find out, oh man, uh, the, the, then you learn anything about recycling and suddenly all of the recycling things are are gone, right? You you you, you start working on something, you you get really good at recycling and then you find out that oh, half the recycling actually ends up in the landfill. So psych, and it's really easy to be demotivated, I think, uh, because of the constant reminders of the I guess imperfections that exist within the the, the sort of the solving the climate conversation, mm-hmm. and so. The article gets the, what the article really comes down. The article, this this particular article, uh, Eve Andrews, uh, is largely on the side of you pick the place that you really that you really feel you can make a difference, and then you sort of and then you keep living your life. Is basically is basically their suggestion, which is a good one, right? I, I think there's a I think there's a is you cannot go wrong with picking the one or two things that you really believe you can make an impact on, and then accepting that you know you still live in this flawed society. And and, and honestly, the the larger the thing about it, the, the more this, the more this becomes clear in, in so many other ways, right? You know, how often does something like uh, does fashion uh, or like you know does like I constantly think of the fact that like we're all wearing our clothes that we we generally know we're probably produced in a relatively bad state, and yet we still have to wear clothes, and so here we are, and and and, and that kind of thing exists everywhere, and I feel like it's. And you know you can choose your sort of one battle, but if you start really piling on yourself for all the different failings of society, then it's going to be overwhelming. And so, this is that was her suggestion basically: is that is a pick your one thing and do it and, and, and go for it. I think there's I have a slightly not a slightly different suggestion, but I think I uh, what gives me hope, I guess I'll say, or what what helps with my climate anxiety, which is there's a the one great thing I think about climate change is that. The the, uh, the solution. Many of the solutions to it uh, have an ingrained personal uh, well-being aspect, which is that the the more time you spend uh, with with, a com- with within communities and and in deepening your personal relationships with other people around you, um, the less time you spend buying stuff. You know, the more time that you that you that you are committed to these sort of work, or that you're working with people, or 
and that the more time you actually sort of really invest in these sort of things, the you know the easier it is to actually live a low carbon life, right? Like, like it's you, you if you start sharing stuff instead of buying things, you you get more interactions. Like the community itself builds up and into you, mm. and it becomes easier to to do these small things because you are a part of a community, which then doubles down sort of the the, the benefits of of actually being in a warm, loving community, mm. which is sort of you know I think one of the most basic needs that humanity has, and then. As a third piece of this, that community is exactly what you need to rely on when thing when it, as as resiliency becomes the real conversation here, right? Uh, you know, as we start moving towards uh, this concept of not just obviously trying to mitigate as much as possible, but we're we're living it right now, and so adaptation is going to be a piece of our life for sure. Mm-hmm. And 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 that and, and this one thing that's there's actually a great article on five thirty eight about how important personal networks are from recovering from storms you know there's a whole thing about how you know major storms uh have a much more difficult much more difficult to come back to if you don't have these strong personal networks because they are the people who sort of show up and do the all the sort of unpaid uh support pieces of it check on you when you haven't you know showed up to something whatever yeah, yeah. exactly anything like that and 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 so it's it's it becomes this sort of thing in which you know you can by by really investing in uh in in creating a community around you or investing in you know going to your tool library local tool library and, and, and joining that community or finding whatever community really works for you but the, but with that sort of angle of we're going to try to find a way to make this more sustainable is like a, it sort of does all three things for me, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. it, it helps with the climate anxiety because I'm around people who sort of get it a little bit at least. Um, or at least I can just – I can hang out with and forget about this, the, the, you know, the, the, the horror show uh, for half a second. Well, and I would say – and on that point, I, I should pause on a moment and, and I think underline what, it, what I think you're saying and just sort of highlight part of it that I think is really important. Like if you're not otherwise in, you know, involved in you – know, say you were – in a bank right uh or maybe that's a bad example but anyway <laughs> uh, if you work you know if you work in an area where you're not professionally in any way involved with climate issues or environment issues and you're concerned about that you should be but you know assuming you are uh then yeah go out and, and you know spend a, a weekend every other weekend and you know even meet up with other folks who are doing like spending a lot more time on it right or mm. create a, create a connection but on the other on the flip side you know if you are really plugged in like for for people like uh you and me specifically but it, there, there's a lot of people listening to the show i think would put themselves in that like well i professionally in some way or i or I'm, i have i spend quite a lot of time already involved in these climate networks um go and find another network right yeah, yeah. i think is a really important thing like go and like do whatever and like join a frisbee team <laughs> or something like you know i think it's the having that work network a is important a but also like not drowning yourself in it in in the environment component of it mm. i think is really like have a network that 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 makes you feel better and if you're really really plugged into the environment finding a group or something to do that is regular that creates a community that is explicitly not having to do with the environment i think is equally as important as the other way around as as joining a network that isn't if you're not you right know what I mean? yeah, yeah. Well, but I th- and, and i think you can find those kind of networks even within say loose environment things like you know like not far from the tree say which is an organization in toronto that goes around and collects fruit from people's houses from fruit trees that they wouldn't necessarily collect, and then they sh- split the, the the differences, or some type um, of a water walk, perhaps, or, or yeah, or some type of water walk, perhaps, exactly, yeah. um, uh, or or anything that is. <laughs> we got another fist pump for that. This is <laughs> the, the, the thing about having the, the next people, the guests, like sort of in an eye range, is that whenever whenever we say something like that, that you're like, all right, yes, positive reinforcement. Yeah. Have someone sit ten feet away at you and clap at you every time you say something. Oh, yeah, that uh, feels is, very is, community. Honestly, seriously, yeah. that's great. <laughs> like if you can just if you can just have someone just 
cheer you on from a slight distance at all times, let me tell you. Stefan is, Stefan is available for $25 an hour <laughs> yeah. to cheer everything you do and say. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I think you can find, you know, you can find these sort of more action oriented pieces of community that, that can sort of help you in both ways, right? You know, there's a whole bunch of communities that exist within uh, the environment movement that sort of, uh, that are, that are both, um, interested in helping, uh, in some, in some, maybe not, maybe it doesn't feel like it's, it's not like, it's not, it's not as sexy as like direct climate activism, I think. Uh, but it is a lot less uh, uh, anxiety inducing, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, to go and spend a day picking apples from people's trees and hanging out with people and having some warm cider at the end of it, you know, or, um, or, or hang out at a tool library and building robots with kids. Uh, You know, there's, there's a lot of ways it's sort of very action oriented or going on like a bike ride through the Rouge Valley uh, or the, or the Don, or the Don Valley, which is the ravines in the Don Valley. If you're in Toronto, sorry, if you're in Toronto and go to the ravines, it's amazing. Um, Anyways, so, so like, so that's to me what it is. That that's to me the, the the thing that I would sort of come with my climate anxiety is that if you can find these networks, you can you can you can get the, you can, you can get the part of it that sort of helps the climate anxiety. Uh, at same while also doing something to sort of relieve it from a, you can feel that you're working towards uh, the goal that you have, and you can feel like you're really doing something that matters. You're you're you're, you're it does, this may not be huge, but it's a piece. It's an important piece, and every little piece counts. You know, like I, sh- I recently tweeted a photo of a, of a community garden that I walked past because the the the, the amount of, of of importance in community gardens I've come to realize within a resiliency factor is unbelievable. Like I I, I honestly believe we need a basically like I think it was in, in during the World Wars there was a huge effort to encourage people to sort of grow, grow some of their own food as a way to, to provide rations. I think we just need that already. We need that now. You know right. we need desperately to be using our lawns for for for, for something else. Hopefully food uh, well, because that's a tra- part of the transition we're going to have to do. It's better for the environment. It saves you money. All that stuff. But it also like it has those like while we're talking about sort of like the psychological aspect of it too it also it also reminds you that fruit comes from the ground yeah right like just like being even if you have like a single tomato plant in your in your your window uh it just reminds you when you go to the grocery store about all the things that had to happen for those bananas to get there or for the kiwi to get there or for the you know for the chicken to get there or whatever i just think it's that it's that one connecting piece too so right even if you even if you only have room for like a single you know basil in your kitchen window in your skyscraper you know skybox uh that you've got um do that um because there's there's multitude of psychological benefits and awareness benefits that come along with it even if you never eat the basil yeah (laughs) yeah like like, like, if like and yeah, it gives you respect, I think, to for the entire process. Um, and so, and so, yeah, like, I think that to me, from a standpoint of, there's a takeaway here. It's a, it's a, it's a find a find a community uh, that that sort of work that's working on this. I think if you find yourself anxious, which I often do, mm. uh, there's nothing I found more effective and, and more helpful than to find some sort of community that you can that you can sort of be with and work towards this with. And and it's. It's 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 freeing. I think it's mm. it's 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 freeing in a way that you're not alone, and and that and I think that part of the anxiety is is is, is really for some reason everyone's anxiety, or the anxiety of this sort of idea of this future, you know, Armageddon, is that somehow we're all Armageddoning by ourselves. You know, like it's you know each one of us gets in your own your own brain. You sort of don't think about how everyone else is still there, and I think joining these communities are like okay, you feel a little more. Like not only does the world feel a little more resilient, but you personally feel a little more resilient. Yeah, and, and so that's and, my message for the day. And and before we go to our, our music break and, and come back and talk to our two wonderful guests today about uh, the first annual Great uh, Lakes Water Walk uh, in just a minute, uh, I should mention that while we're both uh, employees of the Center for Social Innovation, mm-hmm. neither of us is being paid to say this, but 
that's a community if you're in Toronto yeah. and you're professional and and like I mean that's just a place to go where you're just like around friendly people all day yeah and and some people are there and don't even work with like some people are there and they just work on their own thing but it's a place to work where there's like friendly people that you know it's like you know I, I, every, every other day I feel like bursting into the Cheers theme song <laughs> if, if anyone's uh, if, if any of our listeners are old enough to know what that is uh, I think so most like, of our listeners are old enough to do that probably yeah I, well I think probably most of them but not necessarily I all feel like them. the radio audience and former Cheers listeners are relatively okay. so the radio audience almost exclusively <laughs> yes the podcast audience right, might be that's more fair. that's yeah fair. <laughs> uh but uh, there we go so uh i don't want to eat into any of our interview time so we'll go uh, to megan now who's going to introduce our, our first music break you're of course listening to the green majority we'll be right back to talk about the first annual great lakes water walk take it away megan All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, live on the radio in Toronto or possibly on one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners uh, internationally as well uh, across Canada and internationally, uh, as well as our podcast listeners who are listening to us via iTunes or through the website at uh, greenmajority.ca. Uh, if you are listening to the podcast, that means you're also getting access to our uh, special uh, occasionally controversial, occasionally extra controversial uh, bonus edition, which happens on uh, Mondays and is only available to our podcast audience. So if you're interested in finding out what we can't say on the radio, you're going to have to go to the website. Uh, we're joined now by uh, Kim uh, Wheatley, who is uh, uh, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> do you want to help me out? <laughs> Anishinaabe. Anishinaabe. I can I can hear it. Really trouble reading it. Anishinaabe, a cultural co- a consultant uh, providing indigenous ways of knowing through story, song, and traditional teachers for over two decades. An Ojibwe grandmother, Turtle Clan uh, from Shawagana. Shawanaga. Shawanaga. First Nation who carries the spirit name, uh, uh, leader of Fire Flower, which is so beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Um, and you're currently involved in the Aboriginal Sport and Wellness Council, in Ontario Southern Regional, and uh, sorry, pardon me, <laughs> Aboriginal Sport and Wellness Council of Ontario Southern Regional Vice Chair, and a uh, Great Lakes Water Walk Culture and Protocol Director, uh, as well as um, Nibo Imas. <laughs> You're getting there. So he, so quickly before we go to you, I had an idea while I was reading through this this morning um, that really they should be putting um, uh, some uh, some curriculum as like down in grade five as opposed to a cultural level to talk about uh, local sort of uh, whatever uh, the traditional land it might be and these things. You know, they're starting to come up, I think, more and more in events. Um, but what I w- would really appreciate was that if the first time I was seeing this stuff was like at more of a grade school level, that was just a thought I had. Um, <laughs> You know, I feel like uh, that's something everyone would gain from. But we can come, we can come back to that in a minute. No problem. Uh, and then my uh, my other guest before we get uh, uh, pulled off in that direction was uh, Lucy Cummings, who is executive director for Faith and the Common Good and the Interfaith Outreach Coordinator for the Great Lakes uh, Water Walk, uh, as well as being the executive director for Faith and the Common Good. Thank you very much, uh, Lucy and Kim for joining me. Thank well, you. Thank you for having us. And uh, and of course, we're here to promote uh, and talk about the first annual Great Lakes Water Walk. Uh, I, of course, teased a little bit about uh, the Aboriginal component of this, I think is very, very critical um, and made some terrible uh, attempts at, at, speaking, <laughs> at, at covering that. And so within that, I'll, I'll just sort of uh, I, I put that as sort of the, the starting space, I think, because I think there's a number of different lenses which we can and will get through this. Uh, but I think that, that, you know, as I was sort of jokingly saying, but I would like to now say as like less of a joke, much more seriously, was that the First Nations sort of component of this event and, and just sort of in talking about environment issues in general is something that we've been uh, in, increasingly aware, you know, already being aware, but every t- every time we read any story and and 
it just the the component there the the lessons learned uh the the people who are actually doing a lot of the front lines work just every time every time every time it seems like uh first nations and aboriginal people in canada really are on the front lines doing all the really hard heavy lifting and, and heavy labor here and uh i think it's very important to, to hear from these voices but it's also very nice to have something that uh that was very explicitly uh saying it's an opportunity for learning and cultural sharing but is explicitly not a political or activist event um with that basis first of all thank you for throwing it and and uh, would you like to add on that any of those themes yeah i want to thank you for that long introduction and your attempt to navigate language after 500 years it's still difficult for our settler um, uh, brothers and sisters Uh, but we've been speaking that language for thousands of years and nibia masadamajig is one of our key founding partners and has really created the the platform for moving forward in the Toronto area in terms of framework and structure on how to deliver a a water walk um, with lots of people. So they've done hundreds of people, and we're hoping to step it up to thousands of people. But this water walk is indeed grounded and founded in Indigenous ways of knowing. It It is ceremony. And so that's why we're so far away from the political slant is we want to bring our hearts and minds together in a good way and really focus on what unites us all. And that is water. Water is life. And and uh, Lucy as well. You're. Um, I'm also n- uh, uh, not terribly familiar. I wasn't at least before the interview with the Faith and uh, Common Good. If you would uh, like, first of all, I'd like to do a little bit better of an explanation of, uh, of the organization as as uh, as well, and then I think we can talk more generally about the walk. Sure. Um, Faith and the Common Good is an interfaith sustainability network. So um, we are a charitable organization, and we're made up with of people of faith and spirit from across the country who feel really passionately about. Uh, Um, care for the earth and care for each other. Um, And we believe strongly that all traditions of faith um, have that shared DNA. So there's a lot um, that we can work together on. And um, we're part of this walk because um, we're we're supporting the walk with interfaith outreach. Um, And it's been a real um, joy because I think uh, faith communities across the GTHA, this really resonates, um, this sense that um, water is sacred, uh, water is life. Mm-hmm. Um, we share this. We we have this shared calling or this share shared obligation mm-hmm. to protect water, not uh, for our children, for the next generation. Um, uh, so, in any event, this the, the walk and the indigenous ceremony and the indigenous knowledge around water protection really resonates with um, faith communities of all backgrounds in Toronto. So, we're delighted to be part of this. Yeah, and and, and I want to add that we're all indigenous from somewhere, so this is not uniquely our knowledge. This is universal knowledge. We know that water unites us all, that there are water issues across the planet. And this this kind of common connection to what water is and, and the different perspectives connected to it I think really helps to flesh out who's coming, why they're interested, why um, the, the diversity of interest or uh, triggers that m- might encourage somebody to participate. And we just got through three days of volunteer training, and we heard a vast array of reasons why people want to come and support the walk. They want to come and participate in the walk. They, the, the personal gain and the greater good gain were equally matched very inspiring, creates great hope. And I believe that if we're going to actually make change when it comes to water and our relationship to water, it has to come from us. The government structures are not going to support us. Water in the modern times is a commercial commodity. And 
we, we are fully immersed in what I would call water wars. And we need to change that. And we can, as human beings, change that. We outnumber the politicians. So sheer numbers alone should be able to manifest real change. But I also think we have a responsibility for this. Uh, somebody thought about us long before we arrived here. And long after we leave here, there are going to be people here. So what are we leaving them? Uh, we need to leave them something as good as or better than what we received. That's our responsibility. And I and I also would add that um, Kim mentioned that we had a volunteer call out. So we had over 150 people sign up to be part of this walk to volunteer, and um, uh, and it, it, and it was powerful. So um, exciting. The the, the, the um, I, I think these words faith or spirituality or sacred they can be kind of intimidating. Um, and I, the the people that showed up. Um, we're all shapes and sizes, religious, non-religious, um, uh, all spiritual, ages. all ages, yeah. all backgrounds. And there's something about this um, walking together, uh, what you guys were talking about earlier, building community, um, touch that this is about more than science or more than politics. It's about our hearts um, and um, uh, and what uh, what we're going to leave for the next generation. Yeah, so we, we need to be focused on the greater good. I think yep. that's our responsibility, and we can't be putting that responsibility into the hands of other people. It's our job. It's our job to make sure that we have clean, fresh drinking water. We demand it. We expect it. It's also our choice to um, disconnect from making it a commodity. Water is a right. It is not a commodity, and everybody deserves to have access to fresh, clean drinking water. And we as Indigenous people across this country have repeatedly talked about, you know, being under boil water advisory for over 20 years. We don't have access to fresh, clean drinking water. But it's not just our issue. It's an issue that's worldwide. So everybody can find their place of belonging. And when we talk about building communities, this is a very safe and non-political and non-religious way to come together and bring your hearts and minds together. We are body, mind, spirit. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, and we need to nurture all aspects of that. How do we do that? We come together. We come together and bring whatever it is that is us. And we contribute that to the greater good. And that's how we manifest real change. Each one of us is a grain of sand on a beach of change. Let's honor that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and uh, Kim, of course, I, I made a reference to, and, and uh, we made a couple of jokes to in the beginning about um, hugging. And I'm so glad you just offered offered me a hug when you came in. I'm a huge hugger. I love <laughs> physical contact. It's a big thing, and I, and I love doing that. But I wanted to make a, a sort of a serious point about, about that as well. And this was something that you said, but I was thinking about it as well, which was that it sort of like sets the basis, right? We hadn't really, I, I haven't spoken to you by email. We, you know, we had someone else setting up the interview uh, before so we hadn't met before now we hadn't spoken before now and so we really aside from a couple quick you know jokes in the hallway uh, we really hadn't communicated and so first you know so so we had that contact and then now we're speaking and, and what I, the reference the reason I wanted to reference that was it's sort of like you're sort of like setting the stage right it's it changes the tone you're sort of approaching it now is like we feel we've been in contact you feel a real person there's some form of a connection before we have any sort of conversation and I wanted to draw an analogy between that micro exchange and the walk itself which was as you're saying it's not political it's not it's not there we're not we don't have a chance that you have to lay you're not going there you, it, there's not certain sort of like precondition of things you have to accept to be there no. it's just be there and learn but so that it's but it's also not saying that it that there can't be those things in other places but it's sort of maybe the walk is a metaphor for uh, or the hug is a metaphor for the walk in a way in the sense that you go and you have the experience you form that connection you form that the community and then maybe other things can happen but they'll now take place with that basic understanding haven't already been been shared 
Uh, am I totally off on? on no, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think you're totally off at all. The as the world has become more digitized, we've become more siloed, and as siloed individuals, we no longer understand and contribute to what community is. You know, everybody's using their technology to try and communicate effectively and get their little followers, and you know, uh, have these conversations. But we need the broader conversations, and we actually need human contact. And not only do we need human contact, but we need all being contact. So if you want to care about the earth, you actually need to experience the earth. You need to see what it feels like to have sand on your feet and water run across your your legs and and, and, and smell the flowers and look at the trees. And and I heard you reference earlier about community gardens. We need to engage with our mother our first mother, the earth, and what it is that she provides to us. She provides life. Water is the life, but um, it, it's it's the vein, um, the veins of her lifeblood is water. Every stream, every river, every sea, every ocean, they are all necessary. And in a place like Canada, where we have the largest, one of the largest bodies of fresh water on earth, and to use that as a garbage can, as a place of refuse, where living beings swim and live there and grow there, they can't get out of the water and go anyplace else. We depend on them and the relationship we have with all of them in order to survive. So we're essentially killing ourselves. Dilution is never the solution when it comes to water. Pouring raw sewage, no matter how far you put it into Lake Ontario, is just wrong. It's just wrong. right? And, and why aren't more of us stepping up and saying, this is wrong, this is not okay, we have to come up with another solution. As our city continues to grow, the problems are going to continue to grow. And the climate that we're all experiencing, the climate change is a reality. So how are we going to manifest real change and stop listening to those that say, oh, it's it's not real. It's not really mm-hmm. happening. Of course it is. It's hotter. I'm sitting here right now just roasting, and it's it's, <laughs> it's September. Yeah, you know? so I had to check the date because my work is September. <laughs> we're literally halfway through September. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the studio here in shorts and T-shirt. Me uh, too. So, so, yeah, and I think and, – and there's – there is this, this sort of this initial response. You know, I do. I read way more news than is healthy, and there is there does seem to be this response on on a wide range of things. Where you know, when some sort of threat happens, people pull in, right? It's like, oh, well, maybe on a good day when it's easy for me, I'll be nice to strangers. But as soon as there's any type of threat, um, you know, then it's me and mine. And and I just see that as completely wrong. <laughs> like it's completely backwards, <laughs> right? When there's a threat, that's when that's the most important time yeah. uh, to sort of and, reach and out. And I see a gravitation towards the general population seeking indigenous knowledge. To to try and resolve some of these environmental ch- changes and and challenges that are coming up we're not the experts solely you know human beings are the experts we just need to make better choices we need to make change and meaningful change now mm. there's no waiting mm. Uh, Lucy, uh, as we said a little bit earlier, of course, there's sort of the event itself is explicitly non-religious, but you have uh, there's obviously a religious aspect to the work that you do with the uh, Faith and Common Good organization. Um, can you talk a little bit about, in your opinion, the just sort of the relationship between um, faith communities in, in Canada and the environment as far as like coming together? Because of course, you know, when, in other contexts, sometimes depending on what team you're on, not necessarily <laughs> easy to play along. Um, but obviously, when, with the issue mm-hmm. of the environment, I've spoken to a number of people who are involved in in all types of 
of religious type organizations, whether it be sort of explicitly through churches or not, uh, that there does seem to be this increasing trend of just, okay, well, when it comes to the environment, team is irrelevant. We're all on the same team. And mm. it just seems to be this sort of unifier. I think I'm speaking as this as an outsider. I'm not explicitly uh, religious, but I have noticed this trend. Would you Can you comment on that to, to any amount? Sure. I, I mean, I think um, it, it's quite similar to, to what we're describing in this water walk, and, and that is that we've known the science for a long time about environmental degradation and, and climate change and the need to protect the water. We all read the, we, we all read the news. Uh, we're all depressed by the news. And I think what people are recognizing is, and yet uh, we see the news, and, and yet our behavior isn't changing. Mm. So what is it going to take to change our behavior? And I think there's a growing recognition that we need a change of heart, um, that we need to make this a, a moral issue. Um, that this has to be, this has to motivate us all um, ethically and morally. And I think that's where faith communities have an important role to, to play. Um, so I, so I, I, I'm very excited um, um, about the role that faith communities play because I get to see it at, at, at the grassroots level. Um, we're having an event um, at a mosque in Vaughan at the Jafari Community Center on Monday, um, and they have done an amazing job of waste management uh, where that, that entire community that serves thousands of people during high holy days um, has changed behavior around how they're dealing with food waste. And that be, that behavioral change that's happening in that religious community is passed on um, to individuals that are part of that. So um, there are uh, faith communities are role modeling energy efficiency and renewable energy and community gardens all over the country um, and all different faith traditions. So so it is exciting, and I think. Um, with regard to the water walk, um, this for faith communities they that 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 we've reached out to. What we're hearing is that um, this is very important for them to walk in solidarity uh, with indigenous brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, uh, indigenous communities are disproportionately affected uh, by uh, water degradation in our country, um, and we need to step up um, and and stand by them, and also to to recognize the powerful. Um, spiritual and ceremonial knowledge that comes from ad- indigenous traditions uh, that needs to be raised up because we need a, a new balance. We need a new sacred balance, um, quite frankly. Right. Um, and and our in, indigenous traditions role mo- model that balance. So there's a real hunger and thirst, I think, uh, across communities for that. There's an ability to change one person at a time, right? This whole idea of water walking as a whole is a grassroots movement that was triggered by one grandmother, Josephine Mandam, and and she has a relationship and a responsibility, culturally speaking, to water in a traditional sense. And she just got up one day and said, I'm going to make a difference, and started walking Mm -hmm. with her pail and her water and her prayers and her belief system and people's started looking and watching and saying what's going on and joining and supporting and now it's grown as this movement that's traveled all over North America has now begun to ripple across the world and it is something that everybody can do. When it comes to being indigenous led we understand that it's a curiosity for a lot of people and you know we've been here for time immemorial we haven't disappeared we're still here we still hold our teachings we still hold our language we still understand where we belong and our our place in society is starting to grow in prominence because we have a a newfound freedom that 
uh, you know, was, wasn't allowed before. But we're in a new time. We're trying to move forward with a new relationship. And so as we think about what that relationship's going to be, it's inevitably tied to the truth and reconciliation actions and reports and conversations that are just all over the media these days. And we're starting to hear more positive aspects of contributions that Indigenous people are providing, and Indigenous women in particular, because mm. this walk is is a um, focused around the idea that Indigenous women hold the responsibility of caring for the water. We are life givers. That's what Kwewag means, Indigenous Kwewag, or Anishinaabe uh, Kwewag. Those are Indigenous life givers who bring life to the planet, just like our living mother, the earth. So I hear what you're saying, Lucy, and I really want to impress upon the listeners that Yes, this is Indigenous-led, but this is universally welcoming. It doesn't matter what you believe and where you come from. You're welcome to join and be a part of this for as long or as little as you are able. There are two legs of the walk. There's an eastern walk and there's a western walk. We're going to come and meet together at Maryland Bell Park. The ceremonial aspect is going to start at 7 a.m. in the morning. There'll be a water blessing. It'll be grandmother-led. There'll be an eagle staff or a water staff present to help protect the water. Everybody will walk behind those individuals. And you will hold the thoughts, the prayers, the words, the feelings, the emotions that you personally are contributing to this walk. We're not um, policing or micromanaging anybody's contributions. We're extending our arms and our hearts to say, come. Come and let's, you know, rediscover what community is. Let's uh, participate in uh, an act of reconciliation on the spot so that we can all make the change that we need to see happen now. It's, it's about the now. It's not about 10 years from now. And we, we know when we talk to politicians, they're like, it's in the works, you know, and we're going to get to it, and it's, it's, it's got to go through this channel and this channel. We can do this right now, and we don't need any channels. We just need to connect. All right. So unfortunately, we are out of time. But uh, no. Lucy and uh, Kim, I want to thank you very much. Uh, we're actually three minutes over time, but I didn't. I couldn't possibly have interrupted you. Uh. Um, so again, so it's the first annual Great Lakes Water Walk. It's happening Sunday, September the 24th in the uh, Toronto area. It's going along the Toronto Waterfront Trail. It's going to be 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, absolutely everybody is welcome. And uh, there's a whole bunch more information, but uh, it, I don't think it'll, most of our listeners are in cars right now. So I don't think I'm going to read it at them. All the information will be posted on our website. Um, uh, so you can just Fabulous. simply go to greenmajority.ca and, and click on today's post for that information. Thank you uh, so much, well. Saren. This has been a real privilege. And to all the listeners, please come and join us. Yes. It'll yes. be great fun. It's it's on a Sunday, so that means I can almost certainly come too. So. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, so we're going to go to Stephen, who's going to tell us what our second music break is here, and then we'll get uh, Stefan in to wrap up the show in a few minutes. All right, we're back. Uh, this is the, uh, the the home stretch, yeah, if you will. Um, I wish I could just fold time and space, and because I really would have loved to keep talking to Lucy and Kim. Um, but we also have news we have to get to. Yeah. So we're, we're going to skim some news. I think what we're going to do here. So um, we always post uh, we always post the stories we talk about on the website. Occasionally, I post a bunch of stories we didn't talk about because I would have loved to talk about them, but we only have an hour. Right. Uh, today is going to be one of those days because I think there's a number of uh, not just like, oh, this is information you need to have, but like some interesting stories being told in like just with a lot of deeper meeting. You can sort of read between the lines. Uh, so we'll do that. So we're, we're not going to get to anywhere near any of the, the items that I'd like to get to today, but please do check 
check out the website if you have some additional time to do some reading. Some recommended reading for sure on the website. But uh, I think we're going to cut it. We have 15 minutes, just shy of 15 minutes. We're going to cut it down to two. Uh, I really wanted to talk about the UN thing. Um, but, Stefan, you also mentioned a, a China thing. Yeah. Uh, well, well, let's start with. I, th- I think we can bring the the UN thing into into this conversation. Into the China, China thing, yeah, exactly. And we'll and we'll stop calling them things and, and that's exactly uh, because you know this. Well, this conversation with the with with the UN started beginning to focus on behavior change uh, mm-hmm. or or being a little more uh, intentionally looking at it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably moves. For, it comes from a standpoint. I think of you know them releasing an IPC report every single year, and everyone gets and then it makes news for about twelve seconds, and then people move on and ignore the future. So I understand why they might want to be like. Hey, let's 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 think about it a little deeper. Let's 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 look at let's look into this whole behavior change. I didn't even think about that until you just said it that way. But based <laughs> on your phrasing, I was sort of like, what? I wonder if there's like a marketing person at the UN and be like, hey, if we start telling people what they should and shouldn't be doing, that'll piss a bunch of right wingers off, <laughs> and uh, maybe we'll get more headline traction on some right wing media sites. Yes, yeah, so that's just that's, saying it's possible. That, that's yeah, that's really what the UN is just trying to do is get some is get some great Breitbart headlines. How do we get some more shares on Breitbart? <laughs> Um, but yeah, so yeah, so this is just the, the, the conversation here is that the IPC, IPCC uh, has has sort of opening up a it's a, a wider range of, of of I guess what it's looking at, looking into. It's it's you know the it's the first time that the IPC has addressed sort of the demand side of the whole problem, uh, which is uh, and and that's like a. And that's like important. So I'll read a quote here. Yeah. This is, I think it really sums it up. So the quote, quote from the article about what this is about is, so we think, uh, quote, so we think that improving the understanding of what motivates people, what motivates changes in behavior is a very important factor that policy uh, makers may utilize for their development of policies. So that's, the, that's sort of the, the IPCC language. Essentially what they're talking about is that they, yeah, demand side is another way of sort of talking about what they're talking about is that like they, instead of just analyzing the outcomes, they want to look at what informs the incomes specifically so that you can make policies on the incomes. Mm. So this is a they they uh, uh, like any sort of uh, official UN type document. They're sort of they're not they're not giving you the layman's version. But the layman's version is, is essentially whether or not they're going to make policy recommendations. They're creating information so that people can make policies that will essentially like you know regulate things, take things away, like change behavior. So instead of saying, well, it's all the oil companies' fault, be like, well, maybe we need to you know the IPCC global of equivalency of putting a five cent uh, tax on plastic bags, yeah, like that type right. of the, to inform that those types of policies rather than just, hey, here's a deadline you have to meet by this future date. Yeah. Um, try your best. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> well, it, it, they're... Uh they're taking. They're certainly. If you want to give a credit uh, unnecessarily to to a friend of the show, uh, we get to say they're stealing uh, Rob Shirky's idea. Hey, yeah. Rob. Rob Shirky has been uh, for our horizon has been sort of going on the demand side for quite some time, hmm. uh, specifically around you know trying to reduce people's use of, of fossil fuels in their in their vehicles with this. Well, yeah. and he does either. Uh, I think mostly tangentially, but Rob uh, and our horizon does uh, does communicate with these types of folks. Yeah. So I mean, it's not it's not impossible. I'm not. Like, yeah. I think it would be getting ahead of ourselves to say this rob is yeah, single-handedly he, he, responsible for this but uh it's not impossible that that some of his information may have it may in fact not be crazy to say yeah. that that our horizon may have may have had a hand in, in 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 at least helping to promote this type of thinking yeah and and the way this sort of ties into this, this other conversation here is that this behavior change or or moving towards this one of the ways it could manifest uh is is a sort of thing
thing we're seeing around the world, actually, is a couple different countries are already discussing this sort of idea of a ban on electric vehicles um, or ban on ban on uh, on 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 gasoline vehicles uh, in a promotion as a part of their promotion of electric vehicles. Right? It's not just sort of a it's not just a ban on uh, on it's not, not just not just sort of right now a lot of like you know we have it in Canada and some of the places have decided to like give you know, discounts on electric vehicles, but this is sort of the other way around. Right? It's like no, you just cannot buy a non-electric vehicle. So figure it out, mm-hmm. which which is a which is a powerful move. And, and the biggest news recently, because a couple places did it already. I think it was one of the Scandinavian countries, which is always a little ahead of everyone uh, on this kind of thing, have, did it for I think for twenty thirty five or something. And that's like something. And and uh, some other countries and jurisdictions are having this discussion. But the big news is that on Monday, uh, China came out and sort of said uh, that they were at least looking at it. Their 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 state run. Uh, media basically came out and sort of said okay this is this is what we want to do here we want to actually start moving towards this we're thinking about this and and again this is not sort of hearsay china chose to say this right, right. It's like it's like it's like you know this is the state run television they they <laughs> chose to make them say these things right. you know it's not like it's someone has heard they were discussing it no they are directly were told to report that they were considering <laughs> this yeah. so it's not like a it's not like a secret backroom thing it's like yeah. 24 hours and passed and these people haven't been jailed therefore this is very likely the official position well yeah it's like yeah it's on yeah, it'll be a very weird thing to like risk your. You know, it's like I'm going to say you're interested in doing this, but yeah. not make any direct statements yeah. about it. Happening. Which is a funny uh, quick throwback when when Justin Trudeau there was a bunch of attack ads about Justin Trudeau saying oh if, you know in China they can just do things and like right. oh, look he wants to be a communist. This is what he was talking about. He wasn't yeah. saying about this is a good way to run a country necessarily. Yeah. He's saying well it you know the one of the side effects of you know having complete control stranglehold over your country's politics is that you can just make executive decisions like this. Yeah, that's what he was talking about. Yeah, and. And, and, and it's interesting, again, this is a, a, a throwback to a previous conversation we've been having for a while now of one of the main drivers around these sort of actions from, from China isn't this sort of existential threat of climate change, but the very real ongoing polluting cities problem. Mm-hmm. So they are – like China's, Chinese cities are, are, are famously uh, uh, filled with, 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 uh, with pollutants. They're, they're, you're, you're, almost everyone wears masks because they have to. It's, it's, it's unsafe to, drink, to breathe their air. Famously, the Olympics that were held in, in China a couple of years ago, I forget which Olympics and which city, but you know what I'm talking it was about. Beijing. Yeah, Beijing. And they had to, they like shut down all the factories in, the, in several areas around the city just so that the air quality, and it wasn't, they weren't even trying to like pretend it wasn't bad. It was just like so that the visitors could breathe during the Olympics. Yeah, like yeah. that's how bad it was, right? Yeah. And so, and so this is, so there's a very obvious and sort of direct, um, uh, intention here. And, and, and the, the connection I want to make here is that if they do this, like if China comes out and says by 2030 or 2035 or, or whenever, we are going to ban electric vehicles, we're going to ban uh, fossil fuel burning vehicles, or, or even move largely towards a, a much more electric fleet. That undermines the perhaps the, the the biggest argument that is made by fossil fuel companies about why they should uh, about what their value is uh, because fossil fuel companies over and over and over again um, are their their argument to investors about why you should keep in, presuming investing them in them is that in that that the as we see reductions of use of of, of oil in uh, in in developing nations. That it will be replaced by uh, increased demand in places like China and India, 
And so if if you lose China, like if that's if you lose one of the two a billion people that you presume are a growing market and they become a, a shrinking market even already, then then this undermines the entire conversation that they're having. And when you look at India, who's having the same kind of polluting problems in their cities, you know, uh, they're only the only a couple of their cities are more polluted than 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 China's major cities, and 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 and, and, and India has a couple. <laughs> um, and so these. So these particular pieces are, are really important to note because there's, you know, the, the idea of a carbon bubble still hangs over this economy. You know, the idea that the that the carbon bubble of at some point we will realize that we are not going to burn the amount of oil that is underground, and and that will remove a ton of wealth from the from the, from the from the market, is is still looming. And and this is the kind of thing that could pop it, right? Like if China comes out and very strongly says we're moving to all electric fleet by 2030, it's the kind of thing that would really begin to shake, I think, the the, the investors' confidence right. in 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 these oil companies as as a future as having a future, which which is which is very important because the the idea of them having a future isn't is a largely what their actual current value is based on, right? The the, the way this works is that the this um, um, the, the way I understand this works, it might, I'm sure there's like you know a bunch of ways that it's definitely not exactly all of our works. all of our statements come with asterisks. Yeah, exactly. You don't yeah. need to add them right. additionally. Great. Um, but but the, you know, a big part of how these companies are evaluated is on the reserves. And you have to you know on the presumed consistent use of these reserves. And so the moment that those reserves are 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 stranded, you know, stranded assets is an entirely you, you, the value of the company changes. The value of the company drops. And so watch this, I think is what I'm trying to say. It's like watch the watch if they if they actually come out and, and have a strong and, and, and a policy here. That could be the first sort of uh, real blow to right. to the sort of narrative that oil companies are trying to pull still, which is that no will always be here for some reason. Right. Which just well, and so and uh, to to use a a uh, uh, um, to to at the risk of getting too far down the road of counterfactuals, which is a snotty way of saying what if questions I right. learned this week, <laughs> um, is uh, is uh, is that you know at the meantime, of course, uh, the American government, uh, was specifically Trump, uh, is potentially teasing the idea that maybe they might cut off all trade with Chinese companies that do have anything to do having to do with the standoff with North Korea, uh, but like this just like continues. But like you know, these are all what if based on a what if based on a what if. But like, imagine a world where you know the U.S. for I think understand you know this. The, I don't have any opinion. I don't know anything enough about the the geopolitical issue to say whether or not it's a good idea. But you know, imagine they cut off trade largely with China, a, the mass amount of trade. And the, you know the UN uh, and the UN and the IPCC and the world starts moving around them. Uh, Canada recently, you know, should be congratulated for doubling their commitment to the IPCC from one hundred fifty thousand a year to three hundred thousand dollars a year. Still not very much money, but more. Uh, they doubled their commitment. And just, just I'm just sort of envisioning this this what if this counterfactual world where like the entire world just reorganizes without the, like essentially like annexing like politically and 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 economically and and morally uh, just annexes the entire United States off the map uh, into irrelevance i mean it's it's i don't think it's likely but it's just sort of like all these things keep happening that just sort of like okay well you know the u.s is busy dealing with a street fight in in its town square right now so we're just going to keep going without them and it's just i mean you know it's just taking a look at that i'm i'm 35 years old you're slightly younger than me uh just like imagining a world without like where the u.s is kind of irrelevant is just sort of like 
Well, it's like it's. I'm just old enough to be like, wow, because I understand what that means. But young enough that I can actually visualize it. Wait, yeah, <laughs> it, it doesn't seem impossible to me. It just it's just crazy to think about. Like you know, world powers reorder themselves all the time, or you know, and not all the time, but maybe like every hundred or something so years. Or and I think I really do actually think that that. Trump is an example of what uh, is is would be the Trump the example that Trump is setting would lead to a place of a much diminished United States within the world sphere. Now, I, now that that could totally that could totally not happen. They could reverse course as soon as he leaves office, which I think is more, likely you'll still see some sort of correction towards the mean, or he'll get reelected, uh, or he'll get reelected, um, but hopefully not. Yeah. Cross your fingers. So uh, we do have to go. We, uh, for technical reasons here at CIUT, we're not able to do a bonus show this week, but I'm going to work with Stefan on. I would like to actually do a themed extended bonus show coming up soon. Yeah. I don't know if it will be for next week, but uh, we will make up for it. Uh, aside from that, have a good green week, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Greenmajority.ca for the website and the podcast link. Other than that, have a good green week and uh, stay happy. Build some community. Yeah.